Welcome back to another special episode of the Athlete Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. I'm joined on the, li- on the line by my co-host, Sneaky Pete, and it is episode 136 tonight, so uh, where we go. Uh, Pete, how you doing tonight? Good. Uh, I had a long walk today, went to the White House, got to see a tour, so just Ooh. a different, different perspective today. It was really nice. But anyway, so, everybody, it's good to be here talking to you about all things Magic the Gathering. If you like what you're hearing, our content is on the Lotus Council website at thelotuscouncil.com and circulating on various Discord servers, which will be in the show notes. Take it away, Bruce. Sounds good. Uh, all right, folks, we're going to move right into our segment one, our garbage or great, where we, uh, we talk about a couple of cards that might uh, be a trap or might be something great to include in your deck. Up first, we have uh, Ring of Zathrid, which is a representative of a whole cycle of, of rings. And so here's the, so they all templated in a similar way. So two, um, and they have some sort of effect. Uh, this one has a regenerate equipped creature. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, put a plus one plus one creature on target on, sorry, a plus one plus one counter on target equipped creature if it's black. So this one rewards you for playing black things. Uh, and then has a cost of one. Now this card is, it was, it's kind of old. It's been reprinted. It was printed in 2013 and there's a cycle of them. So it's now a 10 year old card. Um, interesting, presenting a sort of a different period of design compared to what we have today. Now, there's a lot number of reasons that make this an appealing card that might pe- might get people interested. Two mana value is pretty appealing. It's not too onerous to put in your deck. It equips for a single for a single mana, and I don't think if we had this sort of equipment today that it would equip for a single mana. All right, uh, then it puts a plus one plus one counter on your creature, not just a, a temporary buff but a counter. So if you moved it around, you could put some counters on things and maybe your, your, um, what's that? Is that the enhanced mechanic or the one from, um, from Kamigawa, Pete? Uh, am I thinking the right one? You know what I'm talking about? The, which, um, you got to reconfigure. Are you talking yeah. about the, the OG Kamigawa? No, like the, yeah. the new one where you have a counter yeah. or it's wearing, you're wearing an, an equipment or an aura that it gets a, a, a bonus. And oh, modified. Modified, yeah. So a modified yes. creature um, could could care about this sort of effect. All right. So there is there are some pretty good reasons for you for you to play this card. Um, like Bruce, I would ahead. run this in a crick in, in a crick deck, and most people run crick as like a CDH list. But if you're running a janky Voltron list, I'd have definitely run this in crick. Um, uh, yeah, with a lifelink, you know, as like sort of like a pseudo buff spell to make it bigger every turn it swings or something. I can definitely see that going crick for sure. Um, the fact that it allows you to regenerate your commander in that instance would be very appealing. Uh, you could cast it using the Frexian mana to put it right into play. So that seems like a good use of this sort of card. Um, I, however, not, I'm not sure that it should be really something that people are looking to prioritize. Um, right. Like it appears in 5,200 decks. And That's a lot. That's a lot of decks, right? For a card that I think that to me feels like it's pretty slow. And is generally relatively low impact. Yeah. So I, I mean, would... one counter. Like I'd rather just play a spell that like doubles the counters, like Solidarity of Heroes or something. Exactly. If I was going to run something that would make me modified and also make me larger, there's de- there's definitely other spells that you can run. And the fact that it is restrictive to black creatures means that you have to have black in your deck. Where like this card might be good in like um equip deck with like Koth or um. Uh, sorry, Cole, not Koth. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cole, the one where he, um, if a creature dies, you can 
yes. return it to your hand that's yeah. equipped. That would be really useful, but because it's in sort of like this faux black color identity thing, you can't exactly use the equipment if even if you wanted to. Well, you'd use the white equivalent, right? So that's sort of the white or the red yeah. equivalent, which I, which are, which all exist. They're all out there, and they're all played at roughly the same amount out there. Um, right. It's just not something that I would be prioritizing because I think nowadays in our commander decks, um, there is there are better options to put in your in your deck. Like you said, things that double counters, uh, better equipment that does has a more of an more of an impact. Um, so I think this is more or less a trap. Or a holdover from uh, an older era of commander design that um, and that would that really doesn't hold up very well in most situations, and so I would probably say in most cases this is garbage, and I probably wouldn't play it. Uh, to the fact where I have you know flipping through a box just last night, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not likely to play this card. So moving on to something more likely to be played, which is oh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna switch real quick. Um... I know we were going to talk about my card, but I actually have a different card that I want to like. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. What do you got? In mind? So I have mind. that. Dread the whole the whole cycle actually. Um, I think we should talk about it. So because... dread, ang dread, anger, wonder. Uh, well, no, it's just the ones that shuffle back in, not the ones that are in the graveyard. Okay. So dread. There's um purity. There's okay. Uh, right. Vigor. And then there's a oh, red okay, one. Like, okay, yeah, sure. That's the cycle I'm I'm referring to. Okay. Um, I want to say that they're all slightly overrated in terms of the abilities. Vigor is probably the one that's most used because yeah. of its, its big green body and it prevents damage to your creatures. And it is very useful, don't get me wrong. But I think in this case, the shuffle ability is actually very bad. Um, because Dread and Vigor are really strong when they're on the field. But when they're off the field, they're irrelevant. And every time they get put into the graveyard, they get shuffled back in, okay? But, like, if I was playing Dread or playing Vigor, I would want to recur it somehow to cheat it out. So that way I can cheat it out in a specific way that will allow me to create value um, really fast. Well, let's, but, let's, 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 let's hold on a second there, Pete. Let's let the audience hear what the card does. So three black, 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 <laughs> creature elemental incarnation. <laughs> I know if we we have to remember that somebody they can't necessarily see the card, right? So, um, right. so fear. So fear is an ability that uh, means it can't be blocked. It has to be blocked by a black creature or an artifact creature. Um, it got replaced by intimidate, and now is mostly not used at all because they've gone. It's an evergreen the, ability. They've voted on to not print much again. Yeah. At all. So, um, so now instead, if we're going to see this sort of evasion on a creature, it's usually menace. Um, sometimes referred to as Menace. Anyway, um, whenever a creature deals combat damage, uh, sorry, deals damage to you, you destroy it. So, okay, a bit of a rattlesnake there. And then when Dread is put into a graveyard from anywhere, shuffle it into, your, into its owner's library. And audience, that's what Pete's referring to when he says that this card is, is a huge rattlesnake that makes people really think twice they want to attack you for the fear of their whatever, just slipping in, dealing damage, and then dying. Um, but if this gets put in your graveyard, it's going into your into your deck, and essentially that's worse than having it be in your graveyard by a wide margin because you can never get it back. Well, not never, but it's much harder to get it back. Um, so this the other thing is like for its mana cost, it's rather restrictive in how it's cast, right? So you need three black pips and three colorless mana. Um, and with a lot of the cards that are being printed now in in, in newer sets, right? Like. You've got Thrun, which is indestructible on your turn. So even if you swing with it, 
and it gets through, it's not going to die. Um, Toski is another example of a card that if it gets through, it draws you a card and it can't die to Dread's ability. So it right. doesn't matter if it's if it if Dread's ability is out there. Right. Um, other abilities, right? You got Dark Steel Plate. You have um, Avison if you're on a higher budget level. Um, you have other abilities that can give things indestructible. I, I was also going to include like Akiri, right? Akiri Fearless Voyager allows your creatures to be indestructible in response. So what you could do is swing with it with the person playing Dread, deal the damage, unequip the equipment, and keep your creature anyway. So it's oh. really not that scary. It used to be super scary, right? It's a $7, $8 card now. Um, but I think it's one of those examples that you've touched on earlier tonight, where it is a, a, an example of a card that was very, very powerful at its printing, but has slowly dipped lower into the, into the power level sort of bubble that we are in now oh, Pete, regarding cards. Should we get an expert to, to weigh in on this card? Yes. So I have a special guest today. My my son Alistair is going to, is here to help me rec- help me record. Alistair, would you run this card Dread in a deck? If it was one of if it was one of your decks, Bruce, you could probably put it only in a mono black kill everything. Yeah, yeah. Like the one you're going to use on Angus and me <laughs> okay. to derail our Shalai. Oh, right, okay, yeah, okay. Would you put it in a deck? But, for me, I would normally, yes, I would probably put it in my ball deck, because that, that, that deck just has a lot of spell spells, and then that would make it hard to block, which... So yes, I'd probably say it would be great. High five to my to my little guy. That's a seven year old there, audience talking magic with you. All right. <laughs> Drop the truth. All right. <laughs> All right. Hey, children children always speak the truth when indeed, it comes to this indeed. game. Gee, we did a good job too. Perfect. All right. So yeah. Yes. Um so probably another card that, you know, people should be looking to be circumspect about putting their in their deck, let's just say. Um Let's just see. It still appears in 3,500, 30, almost 3,500 decks. Um, so not an insignificant number, but um, but again, so, go ahead. I mean, all, all the whole cycle is sort of restrictive in its mana cost, right? It's all th- it's three colors and three specific pips of a, of a color, right? So we've got Vigor, which is probably the most popular right now with all the plus one, plus one counter uh, synergies. The thing is, if it's removed... Again, it just gets shuffled back in. And the shuffle might not be good for you at the time. Say you were looked at the top few cards of your deck. Maybe you played Brainstorm, right? And you played Vigor or um, like Purity or, or Hostility, one of the other cards that we, that we mentioned, which have similar effects, where they either prevent damage and give you value, um, or they you know, punish a player for actions they take against you. Right. The thing is, like, say you Brainstormed and then you put the cards back, and then you play Vigor, and Vigor gets killed on sight, right? Maybe it gets, I don't know, um, murdered or something. Then you shuffle your deck. You you didn't. All the information that you just saw is gone. You know. Yeah. Oh, um, sure. Say, say you've been drawing all gas, right? And now the next three turns you draw all lands because Vigor shuffled itself back in. Um, I'm not to say don't play this card, but maybe pick and choose when you think this will be the most impactful to be played. Again. Yeah, like I said, you have to be far more circumspect than we used to be with this sort of effect. You are absolutely correct. All right. 
let's move on. Segment two. So last week, audience, we dove into the concept of how to lose with grace. Because I think it's a, lose, the ability to lose with grace is an important ability to maintain the integrity of your playgroup. If people lose and are salty and are grumpy, and it's not a lot of fun to play with those guys, you're going to ask them not to come back because it's not fun. Well, on the flip side, there is there are things that people who are who win the game can do to really uh, make your playgroup have uh, a negative experience. Uh, and we're going to today we're going to talk our talk our way through some of the things, some advice, some 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 strategies to help you um, have a easier time managing those dynamics in your pod, uh, so that the winner, you know, behaves in such a way that everyone comes back and says. Hey, I want to play again. Um, that was still fun, even if I didn't win. All right. So, winning's tough. Like winning to hand, handling winnings almost yeah, but... harder than handling losing, isn't it? Well, because like, I'll tell you straight out. When I played in LGSs and then I played with Bruce sometimes as well, there are times where I feel bad winning, which you should never feel bad winning. I mean, you did a good job and you were able to execute your strategy, uh, not flawlessly, but you know good enough to win um and come in first i guess in this case my problem is that i've been in situations where people get frustrated because i won in in what bruce likes to call an explosive way where it's kind of like out of nowhere i just take the game from under you um or in certain cases it's just i snowball really quickly and no one else can stop me either because their deck is not as powerful as mine or they don't have the removal that they're able to get to dig for that will stop my game plan. Um, and then I've gotten into situations as well where people care really deeply about what they're trying to do. And if you totally throw a wrench in those plans, they get almost offended. Because you not only beat them, but you kind of force them into a bad spot. Like, for example, I played um, one of the LGS owners I played with. He is a really nice guy. He's been playing for 20 years very knowledgeable, um, and he was playing a Saskia triple damage deck, one, oh. of the, one of the more older commanders, and he kind of got blown out. He wasn't unable to play much because a guy was mil like targeting him with mill effects, and then also um, he just was screwed on mana. So I ended up, he only had like five lands, and everyone else was at seven or eight, and I ended up blocking out the game with my Glunch deck, Bruce. Yeah. Okay. I told them before I started, I said, I'm going to try this one time, and then I'm going to put this deck away. So, I did the combo, which is basically Microsynth Lattice, and you lock them out with the Stony Silence or Glunch uh, on the field with, like, Collector Roof, for example. Yeah. Which basically prevents everyone from not being able to play anything, because everything is an artifact, and you can't tap your lands for mana now, because of Microsynth Lattice. Very janky sort of combo. With Glunch out, I get to draw everybody else's deck out, and they lose because I sit there and make my Glunch really large, and I can just beat people in the face with it. He was like, he didn't understand what happened, so I explained to him what happened. I said, hey, this game is pretty much over. In 100 turns, for example, I'll win the game. In 100 turns. Outright. And he's like, oh, well, what do you mean you'll, you'll win like this way? And I, and I explained it to him, and he goes, oh, okay. He's like, well, that's, that's disappointing. And I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know what to say to that because it is awkward. It's awkward because it's such an awkward combo where nobody can do anything. And the game is pretty much a draw unless you have a way to win in the instance that it's, that it's played. Um, and there are other two-card, two-card, three-card combos out there that are draws considerably. Mm -hmm. um, you, you play, like, 
a combo, you can't stop the combo. Like uh, Spore Mound, and um, there's a creature that makes Sapperlings every time a land enters the battlefield. Okay. I forget the card. Uh, um, yeah. oh, it's like life in it's like life in life and limb and spore and spore mound. Spore mounds is the creature. Life and limb is enchantment. Spore mound says, uh, sapperlings and forests are sapperlings and sapperlings are forests. And life and limb says, sorry, life and limb says that spore mound says whenever a land enters, create a sapperling creature yeah. token. So that's a draw because you can't stop the interaction unless you have like something that cares about ETB triggers or you give them all haste or something. Right. That's an example of an awkward interaction that doesn't win the game, doesn't lose the game. But then there are interactions like Thassa's Oracle, people have seen a hundred and a hundred billion times. They just get frustrated when they see it because they see it so many times. It's hard to respond to. So what I'm trying to get out with my long-winded explanation here is these hard to respond to interactions that just blow out the game and make somebody just come ahead really far ahead. It's very frustrating for everybody else sometimes. Sitting there and be like, well, now I can't do anything. It feels like I've wasted my time here. The last 30, 45 minutes we played, maybe an hour we've been, in, been going at it. Um, so I've been on each end of it, right? I've been on the counterspell tribal end of it where everyone's countering everything I play. I've also been on the other end where I've blown somebody out with a deck. And they just feel bad. And I feel bad. And everyone feels bad, but nobody should feel bad because it's part of the game. Someone's supposed to win, hopefully. Yeah, yeah no. So for sure. Like it shouldn't necessarily be where people feel bad about winning the game. Um, and we can, but invariably we do. We're human beings and the human emotion is real. And so how do we, you know, how do we find, make that easier for us to, to go through that process of being the winner? And sometimes people who win frequently feel... Um, feel guilty because the, the people they play with are annoyed with them for continually win, yeah. winning games. Um, well, like I'll give you another example, right? When 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 our buddy Mason used to play in the discords, um, and now since he's moved on from Magic for the most part, he plays other games now. He would win probably 85 percent of the time, right? And yeah. he's like, "Well, why are people getting frustrated? Because I'm literally just playing my strategy and I'm executing it well." And I'm thinking to myself. You are, and I'm your friend, so I don't care that I lose, but these random strangers we're playing with do because you win pretty much every time. So people get really upset, and they'll target that person out of the game in the, in the corresponding second game or third game, which is even worse because not every deck is built the same, and not every like strategy works well every single time. Like We have variance in this game. We have probability in this game. I think, like you said, Bruce, I think human emotion is the big dividing X factor when it comes to, like, this situation of, of winning. Um, and I think, I think we've been in, in, in competitive settings with, with teammates or with group sports where it's really, really difficult. Um, and we've managed to kind of discern ourselves from the emotion when we do win or lose because we're used to it. Yeah. Where some people, all they do is play Magic. And they might play standard or something, but if they're here to just play uh, commander and do something janky and they're getting blown out every turn, every game, then it, it probably dissuades them from wanting to play because they're just not used to losing all the time. Absolutely. In that particular format. Uh, absolutely. As I, think, well. I think that's, so. a, that's, a big, that's a big piece of the game. So um, some things you can do to help uh, deal with the emotional piece of your opponents as you're going through it. The first one can be talking through your lines of thought explain why you're tr taking certain game actions is a really important way and as much as people may not like to do it because they feel like maybe it's divulging too much information i 
you know, my experience has been that when you talk through the lines of play, people can see why you're trying to do certain things. I'm trying to employ this sort of strategy to do this thing. Um, and I'm setting up for something else that's big leading, like, and then, so I need to do this. I need to remove the grave, the graveyard hate. I need to remove the, 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 you know, uh, the rhystic study, or I need to remove the, you know, whatever it may be. Um, those sorts of game, those sort of uh, explanations can go a long way towards assuaging any sort of uh, ill will or bad feelings that people may have. It's like it's not personal, because that's what often people assume that they, you're targeting them right. because it's personal. No, because no. of some reason, yeah. like that, you disagree with them or you don't like their deck that they're playing. Sometimes that is the case, but I'm never truly targeting someone unless I think they deserve it in a sense of like either they're a threat at the table. Or I know what their deck does, yeah. so I'm sort of afraid of it. Yes. Um, and what it can do. Like Jota players, for example. I played oh. a bunch of them at LGSs, and I would target them every single game. And they're like, why are you targeting me? And I'm like, because your deck is really, really disgusting when it pops off. Yeah, and, then, and I can't respond to that unless I beat you into the ground before you beat me. So it is, it is hard. Yeah. I, think, I think it's just like one of those things, like you said... you. You have to kind of get to know people as well when it comes to not just what, they, what deck they're playing, but not getting upset if they're going to exile the top 20 cards off the top of your deck. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, for um, sure. It's difficult. I think it comes with time, just playing the game a lot too. Absolutely. Getting used to kinds of play as well. Yeah, you're, as you get playing the format, you're going to be familiar with which commanders you need to target and which ones. And so people, that's personally one of the reasons why I tend to pick oddball commanders um, because I'm less likely to get targeted because they look at them like, oh, that's not as oppressive as Jota the Unifier, who is a disgusting commander. That while he's very powerful, and some people really like to build that really ultra-powerful commander, but I'm like, but you, 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 you now you, know, you put a bullseye on your back. Or if you're playing Atraxa, or if you're playing, you know, any other, like, you're playing Yuriko. Like, you're going to get targeted, because people, are going, people know what that deck is going to do, and they need to derail you. And sometimes... That means they have to target you far more effectively. And if you talk that through, the Yuriko player or the Jota player or the, the whatever player of whatever deck is, is frightening to you is going to understand that it's not personal and that's going to remove some of the emotional emotions tied up in, this, in, the, in the act of playing their game. Another one... In addition, oh, go, to, go ahead. Go ahead. Right. In addition to playing... I just wanted to jump off of that yeah. comment. In addition to playing... like maybe commanders that aren't all that popular, you can take a popular commander and do something weird with it too. Like, I just built a deck on Moxfield, and it's TNT, but it's clues. And granted, Thrasios and Timna are really powerful CDH-level commanders, but when you do something like that, where it's not necessarily the Thoracle win, but it's like you're making clue tokens to generate value over time and ping people to death with the clue tokens... That's more interesting, I'd say, than net decking a deck from like the top most 20 popular commanders from this past year and just taking that build and being like, yo, I have this deck that I want to play and it does the same exact thing every single game. Agreed. I guess I like variance, Bruce. I've started to accept it more in terms of the decks that I build. And you've seen it for sure with some of the decks I've played with you where they play different almost every time. Agreed. Um, and they do some strange things. For sure. So... Anyway. <laughs> well, that also leads into the next point where think, so many of us build our decks and we don't think about 
how our opponents are going to view that particular deck or card or strategy that you're going to employ and what that experience is going to mean for them. And I'm not saying it needs to be a huge overwhelming thought, but let's just go for it. Just as you know, take as a, as a thought, if you know, you're going to stacks the opponents like right out and make them pay an extra four or five mana for every action they're going to take on the battlefield. And they can, and they can only attack if they, you know, mortgage their home because you've made it so difficult to, to attack with propaganda, ghostly prisons, sphere of safety and whatever else, then are your like think about that like is, are your parent are your opponents going to enjoy that sort of experience? You will may not have done anything meaningful to advance the game, but you've now created a situation where your opponents can't really do anything. So just be mindful of what sort of play experience you're going to create. Uh, you're going to create by the deck that you're building uh, as you're assembling it, or like as you like you've played it a few times, you're like oh. That's sort of, I hadn't quite anticipated that. Give you a great example. I had built an Afara God of the Polis deck, um, thinking it was going to be a fun blue-white um, sort of blink deck where I'm going to blink creatures in a play and draw value off of Afara. You know what it turned into? Just blue-white control. Hard, <laughs> hard and fast blue-white control where I just kept blowing up the boards. And I'm like, this isn't fun. I, so the deck's probably slated for me to take it apart i have since built a different sort of deck in the same mold um that is that is there but um i'm not going to play afara because afara is not fun it's just it's there board wipes the table three or four times during the course of the game and then moot carries on from there so um think about the experience for your opponents because if you're board wiping four or five times it's not fun for your opponents it's frustrating it's um, like it's also hard to gauge that unless you've play tested the deck too. Um, there are just certain decks that I built that I just can't play anymore because I know that people will visibly be frustrated seeing it played the way it should be played, mm -hmm. and I don't want to sandbag in the game because it feels worse to do that, and at, than to just like win with the deck. Absolutely, if that makes sense. No, for sure. Because that's, that's, I think that's the most insulting thing someone can do is if they punches, play yeah. a very powerful deck and they just pull punches. And it's like, and I purposefully just try to match the power level I can as best as I can at the pot I'm with. But again, there are times where I've had to pull back just a tiny bit or maybe two steps back yeah. to let people actually play the game. So I guess it's hard. The balance has to be there Yeah. Um, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, similarly, certain deck archetypes are just not enjoyable to play against. So maybe you don't play your Turgrid deck or your Send Triplets deck or whatever, like the ones that are like particularly oppressive. Like I think in my recollection, Turgrid's probably the one that I have, that I take most umbrage with because I find the deck particularly obnoxious where you are just making me discard and sack all my things and then taking them to your benefit. I'm like... Look, I'm as I, I I'm as guilty as the next guy of a deck that wants to steal someone's whole deck, in that I have a villainous wealth deck, and it's premised on villainous wealthing somebody out of the game. But I feel like that's less bad than like making them discard their hands, sack their stuff, and end up with nothing. Which I kind of feel yeah. where the Turgrid deck ends up. So like, if you're looking to create a fun experience, Turgrid's probably not it. Um, Send triplets is probably not it. 
Uh, I can think of a few others, I'm sure, in due course, but like just examples of like archetypes that people like, you know what, that that's not fun. That's not an enjoyable experience. Can we not do that, please? Because right. um, if we're going to do that, um, either I'm going to choose to leave and sit at that other table over there, or I am going to make sure that I punish you mercilessly and I, I to, uh, with complete disregard for my own ability to win this game. I am just going to make sure you can't win, and that's not right either. That's not how we. That's not how Commander ought to be played. I have played it that way, and I have made the strategic choice to intentionally like just demolish some somebody. Like I had a deck where I had a modest amount of of uh, land destruction in it, mostly to target people's problematic land pieces. Well, I then turned around and applied it to blow up somebody like that the player's like mana base and just target that. And I'm like, well, good luck playing the game now. You're stuck on two mountains of a sol ring. Like, enjoy it. Um, and that's not fun either. I don't yeah. want to spend my resources doing that like, and just disregarding the other two players at the table because oh if you're sitting down and you're someone who's prone to picking these sorts of strategies that people don't like um and you reason probably know who they what they are because your players probably told you dude could you not bring that out tonight just be mindful of that and just say you know what maybe i shouldn't bring that out tonight um and it's because it's not really enjoyable people don't really like it so i should do something different yeah so that, that fits right into our final segment, which is the deck tech for today. This is a deck that I, Bruce has seen it run. Oh, man. It is, it, is a, it is a monster, okay? It is one of those decks I'll pull, pull out later in the night because it, it, you can win other, other people's turns. You can literally eliminate every creature that they have with Elish Norn and flickering creatures in, in my deck. Um, you can literally blow up everything and also keep all of your stuff. You can lock down everything. You can do so many oppressive things. It's not even funny how it is. I can, and, I can agree, audience. I have played this deck. It, is, uh, <laughs> it definitely felt like I was playing with like one arm tied behind my back. Um, and I couldn't really do, really couldn't deploy what I wanted to play. Um, I'll, let, I'll let Pete explain what the deck sort of does. Um, and because it, it's not a commander that you would you would automatically assume would lend itself to do this, but anyway, I'll let you go there, Pete. So, I like Flicker as a style. I think it can be very interesting if it's done right. In this case, in Commander at our current date, doing this stuff is just too much. <laughs> I'll be honest with you; it is really hard. To sit down at a table with someone who flickers constant things. If anyone's played against Rune before, mm -hmm. this is Rune, but it's a sneakier way of playing Rune. Okay, Rune is an L is a Rhino, and he had an activated ability. It was three colorless. Tap him, exile a creature, return it to play. At the end step, that was the original Flicker Commander. Storvald, the Frost Giant Jarl, is from AFR. Okay, it's, a, it's an 80-cent card. It's rarely played. This is probably the only Flicker deck out there that exists. Because I looked on EDH Rec a while ago, and there are no other Flicker decks besides mine at this current moment. Again, haven't looked in a few months. That could have changed. Well, Brago, Brago's a Flicker deck, but this is... Brago's different than this. I'm saying Storvald, as the commander, oh, yeah. being a Flicker yeah. deck, I think this is one of, one of a kind. Yeah. 
I'm outing myself. I'll never be able to play this deck again because A, most people will now probably want to run it, and B, a lot of my friends who listen to the podcast will not let me play this deck now that they know what's in it. <laughs> so, this is the last time you'll ever see this deck played. Sad. It has... R- Rip Storvald. <laughs> Rip Storvald. Sorry, buddy. Good riddance. So, it has all the like crucial components in it. It has the flicker effects like Yorion, the Sky Nomad, which comes in. You can exile any number of non-land permanents, return them at the end step. It has value creatures that ETB and do something. So like Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, enters the battlefield um, or attacks, gain three life, draw a card, put a land onto the battlefield. It has um, Seedborn Muse. So if I have Seedborn Muse out with Alchemist Refuge, which is a land that allows me to play stuff with, at flash speed, I just win the game because I can flash everything out on your turn, untap all my lands, keep doing it. And by the time your turn, my turn rolls around, I have you know, all the big bombs on the field, um, drawing cards. There's, like, uh, the new Elish Norns in it, right? The double the ETB triggers. Oh, it's going to be so disgusting with that. There is the old Elish Norn, which works really well with Storvald, because Storvald's Enter the Battlefield trigger says, when it enters the battlefield or attacks, choose one or both. Target creature has base power and toughness (laughs) 7-7. Target creature has base power and toughness 1-1. So when I flicker Storvald with Elish Norn out, I make your best creature a 1-1, and it dies immediately to Elish Norn. Not exactly the most fun for the players around me. Um, Every creature in the list has a purpose and a specific reason as to why it's included. Kodama of the East Tree is in there only because the main reason the deck wins is through Thoracle. So you cheat out Thoracle with Kodama, by cheating out something else that's three mana or greater, which is not hard to do with this list. Granted, I don't play this list a lot. When I do, I warn my opponents, listen, this deck is very hard to respond to. Do your best, figure it out, and I kind of hope you kick my butt. Because the deck, it's not perfect, and I'm sure there are ways I could break it even more further along, but it, it runs so smoothly that, like, I'm not, like, unless people know what I'm doing, I'm not worried at all about what other players are doing, which is dangerous for them. Right. I think if people are worried about you, um, or you're, you're becoming the threat at a table, it's smart to also know, like, maybe if you get blown out, who's the next best person to take over the king mantle, right? right? Yeah. Um, so, granted, I don't want to talk too much about the deck. You can look at it for yourself, but... It has a lot of very interesting interaction in it. Not just instant and sorceries, mind you, but like creatures interacting with each other. Yeah. Eldrazi Displacer is one of the most powerful cards in the deck. I run a lot of colorless lands for that exact reason. So if you notice, I run like, I don't run a lot of basics, which Blood Moon would definitely mess with me pretty hard. But the deck is fast for what it costs to run it. A lot of the cards that are very good bombs are seven mana, right? Right. But there's a possibility to get them out very fast, cheat cheat them out, or you know double the mana up with Mirari's Wake or something. It's not hard for this deck to go ballistic. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and having seen it, their audience, you definitely get locked up and you get caught and uh, have a very difficult time deploying anything. 
let alone something to the, to to derail what Pete is doing. So, look at this deck seriously. But think about it then, as a, as as a player, you know that this is sort of deck you're to, you're, you're coming to the table with, and you know what that's going to make your opponents feel like. That really illustrates really illustrates what we're trying to hammer home today. Um, winning, like if you're going to play this this deck and you have a you have a better than normal opportunity to win because of the way this works, then uh, you're going to have to be mindful of you know talking it through, being very clear to diffuse the emotions of your opponents, uh, and then once you have won the game, because it's going to happen before long, then you need to act like you've won the game before. I think one of the pieces that I think I take from my my days as, as a as a competitive athlete. Because you have to act like you've done whatever it is you're supposed to do. Win the game, hockey, score a goal, whatever. Act like you've done it before. Because if you right. over-celebrate and over-showboat, then your opponents are going to be the ones who are fr- frustrated with you and fed up. And you know what will happen the next time they go to play? They're going to say, you know what, please don't come back. And that, right. that's, a, that's the, what we're looking to do. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. So I remember the first time I played this deck and I won on someone else's turn. The kid I won the turn on, his turn, he just, as soon as the game was over, he packed up his cards and he left. And I felt really bad because I basically made him leave. It was, it was, it was bad. But my purpose for this deck was taking something that I thought was janky and making it work. And I, and I kind of broke it. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) So it's, it's fun. Like it's fun the first time you see it, right? It's fun. Maybe the fifth time you see it, but if you're, bringing my like if i'm bringing the flicker deck out every single time and i'm playing magic i'm definitely not getting invited to pods no. <laughs> like it's just not it's not good it's not a good time so i don't know again the power level as well the curve is ridiculous um you know i have six plus six is 12 15 18 19 cards that i can play 90 percent on curve so like that's almost a quarter of the whole deck yeah. no not counting lands so again, it is um, a high-powered list. It'll never be CDH, of course, but that's a different story. But it is a list that, like, be mindful of it, right? I think that's all I want to say to end this conversation is be mindful of when you sit down and shuffle with strangers and with friends, mm-hmm. because sometimes friends will be even more harsh than the random people you are playing Absolutely. with as well. Absolutely. All right, that's going to bring us to the wrap up this week's show. Um, hey, Alistair. You want to say goodbye to everybody? Hi, audience. All right. So, Al- Thanks, Alistair. Alistair. Um, well, audience, if you, if you <laughs> want to get get a hold of us, you can always email us. The, the links for our email address, our Twitter, and where to find us on Instagram are in the show notes. All our decks are available on moxfield.com. You can find that there. Uh, also, our hosting platforms, you can find us on any, uh, wherever you get your favorite podcast, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, lotuscouncil.com. Spotify, and Amazon. And of course, you can always check us out and visit us with at thelotuscouncil.com. The link to the Discord is in the show notes, so come and uh, check it out. Uh, we'll be back next week talking more all about Magic the Gathering and Commander. Um, hopefully, we have a, a special guest on who may talk to us a little bit about some popper EDH, but we have to, we'll have to see if we get that lined up or not. So, until then there, folks, take care wherever you like to play Magic. Have fun. Be good. Uh, Be good to each other, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have a good one. Have a a good time. Happy Easter to all who celebrate next week. And uh, thanks again, Alistair. You were the best tonight. Thanks for being on the show. All right. 
Here we go. Bye, everybody.